Um, so I'm just going to go through the next sort of 20 minutes to lay out the, the approach the council's starting to take. Um, the key thing is in terms of the authority is that the strategy um, is currently going to go to our cabinet on the 27th of April for final sign-off, and then the document will be published uh, online. Um, so there is a full strategy. There'll be a challenges and options opportunities paper alongside that. And then if we can get it to work, there'll also be like an infographic document as well. Um, but that's a start. And once it's approved, we'll then go into like a 12-month consultation process. Because as, the, you know, as, uh, as Andy and Dan said, we haven't got all the answers. We know what all the problems are, but we haven't got all the answers. And so it's part of co-generation of the actions that we need to have going forward and as we develop over the next 10 years. Well, I wanted to start off with some, some good news, really. So since 2005-06, the council's reduced its carbon emissions by 47%. Uh, and as a city, we've reduced our scope one emissions, so that's our fossil fuel use, electricity use by 44%. So it's a significant progress that we've actually made as a city and as an authority. And as a city, if we did nothing more, we just sat around and did nothing, by 2050, we'll have only reduced our emissions by 58% just from the decarbonisation of uh, the electricity grid and of uh, mobility. So the stuff that are going to happen regardless of what we do. It's that bit beyond that. That's where the challenge lies, and that's where we need to make the, the inroads and the progress. As an authority, uh, when the de declaration was made for, for declare a climate emergency, we focused upon three areas of carbon emissions, which were production emissions, so that's emissions that we produce from things we consume in the city, consumption emissions, which is the emissions that are coming from things we purchase and, and bring into the city, and the last element, the final bit of our decarbonisation journey, is a carbon sequestration bit. And that's a very small bit that we need to do at the end. And what we can't do is make sequestration the answer. It has to be part of the solution, but for the carbon we can't actually get rid of at the very, very end of the process of decarbonisation. And it's just an illustration really in terms of the, where, car, where the production and consumption emissions actually come from um, within the city, but this applies to any city and just sort of shows you that relationship in terms of size, but I'll mention a bit more of that later on. Going up. Um, and I think also in terms of the, the responsibility for decarbonisation, the authority through the, through the business and the business leadership board within the city have that central role in terms of addressing that carbon neutrality within the city. There's a role of the wider public sector because there's a huge amount of investment within the city by the wider public sector. The role of residents, as individuals, as citizens, and then the role of government as well, which wraps around us all help shape a lot of the agenda and a lot of the opportunities and decisions that we need to make going forward and how we influence that agenda going forward. And then one of the, the key elements in the declaration that was made by the council was the role the authority needs to play in actually influencing government policy and providing an evidence base for the government to say, this is why change needs to happen in Hull, this is what change in Hull looks like and what it costs and what needs to happen. And that's the changes that we need, we need that strong policy leadership. So this is the infographic of how we're going to become carbon neutral as a city, the key areas that we will focus on in terms of decarbonisation. We've picked it into these around, around heat, power, mobility, consumption, fair transition, carbon sequestration, skills and jobs, and innovation. And I want to go through some of these and just tease out some of the, the opportunities and challenges that we have as a city going forward over the next, the next few years, some of the progress as well that we've made. 
Heat, as uh, Andy sort of said, heat is the biggest challenge. It's the one that keeps me awake at night in terms of decarbonisation. All of the decarbonisation that we've achieved as a, as a country so far, that rapid decline has been through the decarbonisation of electricity. We have not touched heat at all. And that's the real challenge that we've got. And really, the starting point in terms of actually trying to decarbonise a city is to bring all homes down to an energy performance certificate rating of C. That's the basis we need to get to. And that's not just within, within Hull, but that's nationally within the UK. And that's a real challenge for us to actually get to that point. And a key element of trying to get to that, really, we've done all the easy stuff. We've done the cavity wall insulation within the city, where we, where we can do. We've done the loft insulation as well within the city. It's those hard-to-treat homes, the homes that have no cavity at all, the solid wall homes, or have very, very small cavities, which don't really work in terms of being able to fill them effectively. So as a city, um, we've actually installed, installed external solid wall insulation on just over 2,500 homes so far. So significant change within the city in terms of that progress. But that's a small number in terms of what we need to do. And the infographic you've got here as well, which sort of shows some of the, the levels of terms of work we've done through the hotspots program that we have within, within the city, trying to improve energy efficiency and thermal performance of our housing across all sectors within the city. And the challenge really is to not only the, the work that we do in terms of the housing stock that we own as an authority, but how do we influence the housing associations, private landlords, and their own occupiers. So those occupiers that can actually can afford to pay so actually, how do we make those that afford to pay to actually invest within energy efficiency within their homes? As well as how do we support and enable resident owner-occupiers that can't afford to make that level of investment? How do we get over those challenges? What do we need to do? And what government schemes do we need to be put in place to enable those changes to actually happen? As already been mentioned, decarbonisation of heat really falls into two areas. You either do it through electricity, so there's an air source heat pump here, or you do it through hydrogen. And at the moment, the only scalable solution is decarbonisation through electricity. And that needs thermal improvement. You need the energy efficiency within people's homes. You need the thermal insulation of people's homes to be able to make air source heat pumps and other systems work. Because unfortunately, in the UK, our homes are not very good, to use a polite phrase. Um, they leak um, and they're just not very well insulated. And that's a real challenge is how we do that because it doesn't really add any value to your home. Um, unlike a You'll notice when most people build, move into a new home, what they do is they put double glazing on, if it hasn't got it already, they put a new bathroom in and a new kitchen to increase the value of the home. External solid wall insulation doesn't really have that sexy feel, really, when you go to, to buy a house or if you're looking for one. It's not what you look at. Is that what I'm looking for? So there's a real challenge there in terms of how we do that. And hydrogen is one of those, we're working with Leeds and with, T, and with uh, Teesside as well, and this links into the Drax project as well, some of the carbon capture and stuff work that they're doing there. How do we decarbonise the grid through using hydrogen? It's an opportunity. It's scalable. There's a, there's a project in Keele University at the moment that's trying out blending 30% hydrogen into the natural gas mixture, which has a big reduction. And it looks like we probably can do 100% hydrogen if we can just manufacture enough of it. And it's how we manufacture it and carbon capture it. The boilers are out there. They're being manufactured by Ideal Standard by Worcester Bosch at the moment. So the technology's there. We can skills as well, and we'll come on to the skill elements as well. So the solutions are there. It's a scalable element of those, and how as a city we enable that to happen and take those steps forward, and how we need to say to government what the changes we need within legislation and funding to do that. This is the, you're probably familiar with this picture, which is of the um, part of the whole Maritime City project, 
And this is a new visitor centre that we're going to build where the Arctic Corsair is. Our ambition, what we're working towards, is actually make that a passive house building. And that'll be the first zero carbon building in the city. It'll be one of the first zero carbon tourist attractions in the city, in the country as well. So it's a really big step forward for us as a city in terms of understanding and learning how passive house works. It has a big opportunity for us in terms of the training and skills within the construction uh, within the city as well in terms of the, the, the construction economy, but also for a city a learning curve for us and actually how you build passive house and how we move forward and develop as an understanding of how we can start to build new buildings to this increased standard as well. Power. We've done a lot in terms of power. We've obviously, we are home to, to Siemens Gamesa, um, and we're at the heart of the energy transition within the UK's electricity market. But there are significant opportunities that are available for us within the city as well. Through increased battery storage, uh, where we can do on the land that we have, and increased um, uh, photovoltaic cells on our buildings, but also putting it on surface car parks or having canopies as well, and having battery technology connected to those. How do we as an urban authority have solar farms? That is, a solar, that is an urban solar farm. That's what we have to do and what we'll actually start to develop over the coming years. And then we have a hydrogen electrolyzer as well to generate hydrogen. And we'll need those within the city as well for uh, our own, uh, for transport decarbonisation, but also potentially for small scale um, decarbonisation of buildings and properties as well. Looking at how we can start to agglomerate some of the solutions that are out there and bringing them together to deliver things and it links into the work that, uh, that Dan and Andy were on to in terms of that local community energy centre, how we start to develop those technologies and bring those, bring those together. Mobilities and electric vehicles, obviously. Uh, the council has an electric vehicle fleet, uh, which will be growing over the next, and we hope by 2025 to have the majority of our vehicles, in fact, all of our vehicles under three tonne uh, will be electric. And then by 2030, we're hoping to have most of our fleet to be electrified as well, including some of our more expensive and challenging issues, some of our waste lorries, which at the moment are incredibly expensive. How do we encourage and promote more active travel so people walk and cycle more? Can we use public transport? And how do we, and the, one of the things we're doing as an authority at the moment is entering the government's um, uh, bus, electric bus city program to see if we can get, draw some funding into the city to do electric buses that run and operate within, within the city as well. And how we get the infrastructure for that. And then interesting projects, well, in terms of hydrogen trains as well. So we're in conversation with Northern Rail, who are developing, uh, I know they have have a bad reputation, I know. Um, I do get a Northern train, so I know the state of the paces. Um, but they are working with Teesside in terms of developing a, a um, hydrogen train, which is going to run out of Teesside. And the next development of that is actually bring that down into the Humber as well. And we're working with them to try and what do we need to do in the Humber to bring that into, into here. And about having an energy generation, hydrogen generation plant, within the city that can not only provide fuel into a hydrogen train, but then can provide into some of the fleet services as well, to actually use it within some of the larger fleet operators within the city as well, how we can start to make that change and that innovation. Because innovation is there, it's just everywhere. We had some work done by a consultancy called Anthesis into the consumption emissions within the city. And for us as a city, consumptions are 1.8 times more than our production emissions. It is a significant challenge. And alongside heat, really is, because we drive this. We drive the consumption emissions and everything that we do. And it's understanding where those consumption emissions are coming from, how do we change them, where the opportunities will be canvassed through local procurement, understanding how we can start to influence the supply chain, 
through the money that we, as a local authority, spend through our procurement, but working with the public sector partners within, within the city, with the university, with large businesses, how we can start to change the supply chain locally, but also regionally as well. We're just starting to understand that, and this really was the starting point of this, to actually start to get a better idea of what it looked like, because we had no detail, no information on this at all for the city up until we had this piece of work done. So this is really important for us to start of a, a big journey for us. Fair transition. This really is where decarbonisation of the UK economy and of whole could fall over. If we do not get this right, we will not take people with us. We will not be able to decarbonise without making sure that actually it's progress rather than going backwards. The big challenge in terms of, and the challenge that we have within the, within the city is that, and nationally, is that gas is cheap. It is a generally it's a cheap fuel. That's why most of you have natural gas boilers and you don't use electricity to heat your homes. But 5,000 people in this city still use electricity to heat their homes. If we move to hydrogen economy, it's not going to be any cheaper than electricity. It's anticipated at the moment it probably costs just as much electricity. So how do we address issues around fuel poverty in the city as we transition, how do we decarbonise? Creating jobs, creating employment are key parts of that so that it's spread throughout the economy. But that energy efficiency into people's homes, how we improve the thermal efficiency of our homes, is key to us being able to deliver that and enable that fair transition. In building to other areas in terms of electric vehicles as well. Because if you have a drive and you can park your car at night on your drive and plug it into your house, you can pull all the power out of your battery and use that to power your home at a much cheaper rate. And you can fill your car up at a much cheaper rate because you're only paying the normal rate that you currently pay to, to for electricity in your home. If you don't have off-street parking, and between 34 and 41,000 homes in the city do not have off-street parking, filling up your electric car is going to cost you more. So there's some really big equity issues in this decarbonisation. We've got to really get our heads around it and understand and make sure that transition is fair and delivers a future and a prosperous future for everybody and not just those that happen to be wealthy now or benefits in the future. We've got to really use this as a stepping, as a, as a real cultural and social change within, within the city. Carbon sequestration was mentioned earlier on, and it's, there's some, it's a fantastic opportunity for us in terms of sequestration. And just to give you sort of just uh, more positive news, uh, in the, this planting season we've just had, um, Hull planted 14,000 trees. And that is more than any other city in the Northern Forest area. Yeah. More than Manchester, Leeds. You know, so we're significantly ahead of them. We're, you know, as Andy was saying in terms of economic terms, we're small, but in terms of carbon sequestration and tree planting, we're well ahead of everybody else. We know how to plant a tree. Um, but it's also about looking at what are the natural assets that we've got. So as well as planting trees, which are really good in terms of carbon sequestration, it's what trees do we plant? Where do we plant them? How do trees draw down, draw down carbon? How do we hold it and maintain it within that? And how do trees absorb carbon over, as, over their life and how does that change? There's some interesting work that Dan's doing and, and, and his, his students around understanding how the natural systems work in terms of the local geology of the, of, of, of Holland and how that works. And in some cases, grassland is actually more effective at carbon sequestration than trees, depending on what, you know, what the environment's like. And we have the Humber Estuary as well, a huge asset, a huge carbon sequestration asset that we have that nowhere else has. And that stores carbon in very different ways. 
And we need to understand that much more than we, do, we have done historically and see how can we actually benefit that. Is actually how we do manage realignment within the Humber. How can we do that that can increase the sequestration value that is actually there? And also, how do we preserve and enable that to be maintained going, going forward into the future? It's all right doing sequestration short term. We've got to maintain that and keep it and then we lock that into the ground, into, into the environment and make sure that it's there and it stays there. Otherwise, it's just temporary. We've got to really understand that much more. And there's a huge opportunity around that. And there are, as you all know, there's lots of health benefits associated with carbon sequestration. We've created nice areas in terms of attracting tourists, but in terms of people's well-being. So it has a really big multiple um, added benefits. Skills and jobs. I mean, we've heard already tonight in terms of the, the, the jobs and skills that have been created. But going forward, there are massive opportunities in terms of skills and jobs in the local economy. Decarbonizing heat, whichever way you look at it, that means every single home is either going to have to have an air source heat pump installed, and we need the engineers and the designers to do that, or we're going to need um, hydrogen boilers installed. We've got a district heating system within the city that we're working on at the moment, which will provide heat, cooling, and power within the city centre. Again, another huge opportunity. But also, I put on here, why I mean, one of the projects that came out of the work we did with Siemens and Greenport, changing the relationship that we have in terms of economy and, and grabbing the value that is within, within the economy from the women and girls within the economy that traditionally have not worked in the engineering and science industry within the Humber, within the Humber area. Because it is a huge talent and skills pool. And it's great that a whole load of companies are realizing that and recognizing they're missing out on a whole load of skills within the local economy that is just where and waiting to work for those employments. So it's about creating that aspiration and showing that, that working within these industries, which have traditionally been very male dominated, showing that our jobs and skills and opportunities are there for them to go and grab and make enabling that as a viable option. Innovation. We've got C4DI, we've got the record Benkheiser as well, um, in terms of the innovation investment they've made in there in terms of medicals, but also smart city, smart city developments going forward. That's an integral part of actually how we start to manage and move energy around. And so we need to understand that and get that startups, those innovation is really key to what we need to do as a city, which encourage that and enable that innovation and support it as well, whether that's young people in their, uh, they're in their bedrooms doing small startups to people actually you know, coming out of university and going into these kinds of schemes as well. I've got one more slide after this one and then that's it. This is, just to give you an example, one of the pieces of work that's in the strategy is developing roadmaps to go forward. We need roadmaps to enable us to understand how we decarbonize power, heat and mobility and how we use our, manage our landscapes more. Because if we want to be decarbonized by 2030, we need to understand what are the key critical steps over the next 10 years, we need to achieve that. And what do we need to have achieved by particular points along that journey? Until we understand that in detail, it's difficult to actually plan it. We can start to measure much more what we need to do. We can go and talk to government about the innovations that we need, about the funding that we need to go forward, and about the scale and pace of change. And if you think about it, putting aside the 2030 target that we have as a city, and looking at the nationally, the 2050 target that we have, in reality, we've actually only got 20 years to fully decarbonize the economy. Because between 2040 and 2050, it's when we need to do the really, really hard stuff that's really hard to decarbonize. The majority of it is going to be done within the next 20 years. So there's going to be a revolution, really, in society over, that next, over the next 10 to 20 years. As a city, 
And then our capital program, so in our funding a budget that was approved um, last week, week before last, there's 80 million, 80.4 million pounds identified within the budget. There's particular projects for us to develop wind turbines, solar generation, electric vehicle charge points, and bus electrification within the city. This is on top of funding that we put into areas such as air quality, into housing renovation that we're already doing anyway, that we're putting in. So this is additional funding and just the start really of what we need to do as a city and what we will do as a city. I want to leave you a positive thing because one thing we've got to be really careful, and I think we moved, we need to move now from the, the position where we've scared everybody and said it's a big challenge, climate change is going to affect our lives dramatically. As we do something now, this is how horrible it's going to be. We won't get people to change by telling, by filling them full of fear. It will not happen. We've got to create a positive vision of the future, full of opportunities for people, and show people how that change can take place. If we don't do that, we've lost already. We've got to start changing the conversation to one about positivity, about positive future that adds, that gives more than what we've got now and really opens things up for everybody. Thank you.